Hello, this is Automatic Tiger, and you're hearing me now before the actual podcast starts so I can give you a little bit of an introduction. A while ago, I thought it would be fun to do a version of Snexploration Squad with uh, the Sega Genesis, because Clint generously offered to allow me to host it in the uh, Snexploration feed, that's why you're listening to this. Hopefully, hearing something about Sega instead of Nintendo isn't too upsetting. This is the pilot episode for it. It's sort of a test to see how I can host and how I can edit and what it takes to do those things. And the show's actual format is still evolving as I develop it. Everything is still a little rough around the edges, but I'm still really proud of what we've done here. And I hope you enjoy listening to this, even if you may or may not have expected this to pop up in your feed. So without further ado, welcome to the Book of Mega Drive. Welcome, Mega Faithful Congregation, to this reading from the Book of Mega Drive. Today we'll be discussing Exo Squad. I'm Automatic Tiger, and the totally radical Mega Drivers joining me today are. It's me, Shrug. Sega! Uh, <laughs> uh, it is Modal. Hi, I'm Ramona, the hip, cool mascot with lots of 90s attitude. Suck my ass, Mario. I'm uh, Mario's counter, uh, Floygian. I mean, Rudy. Yeah. Sega! And, uh, yeah, so don't adjust your podcast dial. This is on the uh, Snexploration uh, feed, but this is our new cool spinoff I've been working on for a bit here. Today we're going to be talking about the opposite of Nintendo, which is Sega, as all scientists know. Um, and we're talking about the game. Exo Squad. What is Exo Squad? Exo Squad was a game developed by Appaloosa Interactive or Novatrade, if you want to go by the title they developed mo- most of their Genesis games, games under. They were originally a Hungarian company, but uh, they had American management and and did a lot of grunt work on a bunch of different Genesis, Amiga, uh, Genesis and Amiga games, porting forward and backward and all that. They did actually develop some stuff you've heard of, like Echo the Dolphin and Calibri. Uh, The game was published by Playmates Interactive, which is just the game development division of uh, Playmates Toy Company, a uh, Hong Kong toy company that made the toys that the show Exo Squad was based on. Speaking of the show Exo Squad, Exo Squad the game is based on Exo Squad the cartoon, a cult classic cartoon with terrible politics frequently referred to as the American anime. Exo Squad follows a group of power armor clad soldiers as they fight against various oppressed working classes over the course of two seasons. The game itself combines multiple styles of gameplay, including side scrolling, faux 3D space, root, space shooting, and a bizarre mecha fighting game. So, uh,. We're going to begin exploring this game through four exciting and increasingly challenging zones. The first zone is Blast Zone! So, uh, to begin with, how long did you, uh, play this for? I got blasted by this game for probably less than an hour because I just couldn't take it anymore. I was in an asteroid field and they just kept coming. They just kept blasting. 
they just kept blasting. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm very sick, and I don't know that that's really why I'm so confused when I think back on my time with this game. I, I think it's the game's fault. I think it's the game's fault, too. I did experience all the modes, and I think I can safely say that there's way too much behind-the-back shooting. I never thought I'd miss Mode 7. You don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore. I, Thank uh, you for sharing, Shrug. <laughs> I played about two hours, maybe one hour and a half to two hours. Um until I reached a stage much like Shrug flying through asteroids and it was impossible and I died repeatedly and I tried to cheat and use save states and rewind and I still couldn't get past the asteroids so I gave up on ExoSquad uh technically I've been playing this game for the last 22 years but for the sake of this podcast I played it for like a couple days and I couldn't get past stage 5 I uh played this for about 40 minutes and then much like Shrug I just couldn't take it anymore I just had to stop and then I stopped but did it ever stop will it ever stop time crime and uh yeah I I played it for it feels like two to three hours, but I think it might have only been an hour. And I've played this a few times. I played this once just because I had a toy based on it, and now I'm playing it because, uh, well, people on the internet voted for us to play on it. So, yeah, playing this game, I was amazed that you could have three such different games that each game modes that had so many different problems. Let's go through each of the modes and see how people felt about each of them. So let's start with the flying levels. These are, um, these are levels where you fly in one of the cool robot suits, and uh, they're fixated behind the uh, ship, kind of like Star Fox or, uh, I think, Lock-On. Is it Lock-On? G-Lock? No. That's just another Sega game. I had that one. It wasn't bad. Why are we playing G-Lock? <laughs> it, it's kind of like a bad version of the game Space Harrier. Space Harrier. It looks like Space Harrier, but bad. It's like Space Harrier, but you don't have a floor, and the sprite scaling is not dramatic enough to give you any sense of depth. So you'd never know where anything is. And it's all moving too fast. And then you die horribly. And then you die in real life. See, like, I'll, push, I'll push back against that a little bit. Um, if, well, if we're comparing like Space Harrier Arcade, yes, definitely, this is awful. But um, as far as the scaling or super scaling kind of games on the Sega Genesis, like it is much more readable than Space Harrier 2, which is awful, or Galaxy Force 2, which runs very, very slowly. Um, I, I couldn't. I'm, I was. I was like looking at. It, I was trying to figure out what exactly the problem is. But the main problem is, like, your shots are only valid on targets at a very specific range, and 
and like that it's more of a, a slightly tilted expression uh, tilted uh camera angle than as opposed to head on so um while in space area or in galaxy force you can sort of read what what your uh, bullet path is you have a bullet path here but it seems like it doesn't matter for actually hitting things it just has to hit your crosshair if, it's, if it doesn't hit your crosshair then it doesn't really exist and uh, as a further complication of that, when you move, you don't just move your, like, robo-dude. You're also shifting the perspective of everything on the field around you. Yeah, there's, like, a, a high field and a low field, and as you cross over from top to bottom, it shifts from your character being at the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen. Like, And it's, like, this dramatic shift that happens in the middle, and there's kind of, like, two, even though it's it's ostensibly 3d there's like two fields and you're like kind of shifting between the fields. And if when you're on one field, you can't really be hit by the obstacles from the other one. So it's kind of like, it's a nice uh, compromise, I guess it's still, I still feel it's like you can't really see what you're doing or where you're going. And, the one level with the asteroids is just way too much to ask for with the perspective. It's yeah, sort of fun at first, but it's uh, it's just too much to ask for, I think. And because of the way the crosshair moves in order to specifically aim at stuff, you have to move your body in the opposite direction because you move down and it's like your, it's like your view is your view of the field is reversed like you're steering a plane, but the, your movement of your actual sprite on the screen is one-to-one. You just move in the direction it goes. So yeah, it's like there's a, uh, you're at one end of a stick and your freaking crosshairs at the other end. So you move in one direction and there's a pivot in the middle, so you move in, you move right, and your crosshair moves left. So you have to, if you are specifically trying to shoot anything, you have to pay attention to that, and also, is anything going to hit me? And it's a bit much, in my opinion, to handle on a single D-pad, Exosquad, the important thing is it runs at a, a smooth 60 frames per second. I actually don't know that. I can't tell 30 or 60 FPS. But <laughs> that it runs at 60 FPS, uh, so then um, it is it is gamer-approved, PC gamer-approved, uh, Neo CPNs forever. You can also, one of the buttons allows you to switch between slow movement for, I guess, fine maneuvering and fast movement for... Just jerking around the screen like a chicken who sees the cleaver. Fast movement for just careening wildly out of control. Fast movement for life in space. You already move too fast, and the fast movement's like, would you like to move extremely fast? In space. Did did any of you get far enough that you fa- had a level where you had to face off another exosuit in space? Yeah, it was fucking shit. 
Oh, it's really bad because the enemy can lock on to you. And if the enemy locks on to you, which it probably will because the game's controls are fucking garbage, uh, you could conceivably be killed in one hit. My When I was shooting another exosquad in, in the air, my brain was just sort of flipping back and forth between trying to avoid, like, I, my mind, I'm very ill, so maybe it's related to that, but I couldn't keep track between trying to avoid his shots and also trying to aim at him, and also there seemed to be some weird hit detection issues with trying to avoid the lock on, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with my life playing Exo Squad. I just. Who made this game? Some people in Hungary, apparently. There's way too many controls for every mode, not just this mode. There's way too many controls for every mode. This is a 16 bit game that actually has a tutorial. For each mode, there's a little. There's a little display on the thing that shows you a Genesis, the Genesis pad buttons, and then a little list that it goes through that says, hit this button and this happens, and it shows you the animation. And it goes through everything so that you can see on the screen, this is what your thing does. Because I guess they have to give you something. So, a uh, very forward-thinking game. Incredible work. Well, when one of your modes has has left being crouch uh you got a problem but on, on that sort of note uh did anyone go try I, i'm a coward i admit it but did anyone else uh try mode two controls and what does that do you know i never did yeah same here oh no we're fake game journalists who didn't play the game we're gonna be besieged by complaints now I think you need the Sega Activator to play with Mode 2 controls. Yeah, it's it's that got that real proto-connect feel to it. I think we talked about the space thing. I will say there are actually two kinds of space levels, some where you can go up and down and some where you can't. And for some reason, I always forget the ones where you can't go up and down, I think because they're so freakishly brief. You know what's not brief are these, these cutscenes. Oh yeah, are very long. <laughs> yeah, but the cutscenes are part of the fantasy. We'll get to the cutscenes. But we were talking about multiple controls and crouching, which is a great transition into the next mode, where you control Wolf Bronski, the only character whose name I can remember in this whole thing besides Takagi, and Takagi isn't in the game. And uh, as you just scroll well, across the screen in one direction, and you press left to crouch, which, uh, I found this the best part of the game, which is a very relative term. I I kind of felt like it was... It, it almost feels at times like a rhythm game, but we should probably get into more details about how this plays before I go into that. What did people think of the side-scrolling portions of this game? As someone that has played uh, way too many uh, shoot shoot games, games where you shoot things, uh, this feels like a Euro shmup uh, in that I shoot and I shoot, and I murder, and I murder, and it doesn't feel good ever. 
yeah, like a billion things are flying at you. You have tons of opportunities to blow them up, and it always feels like mush. And, and I press gar- left to crouch, and I hate it. It's garbage, but uh, it's not as bad as the rest of the game, which isn't saying much. This was a bad game. I don't know if I can hammer this point home anymore. This game fucking sucks. <laughs> Yeah, the contr- I do have to just appreciate how bizarre the control scheme in this segment is. Because you can only scroll to the right. You can't scroll left because left is duck. You have a crosshair. You have a set of crosshairs on the screen that angle your attack. And it is a analog isn't the term, but like it is a smooth cursor. It goes in an arc around your, your character up and down. It's not just like you point at one angle. You can adjust it with semi-fine pixel controls. Uh, And that's up and down, and you walk forward by pressing right. And you've got a shield button, which lets you, that prevents damage when it impacts you for a second with a brief cooldown for the shield. It turns you blue, Amadi Abada. Yeah. And a blue little house and a blue little window and everything was Neo Sapiens. Uh, and speaking of Neo Sapiens, you've got another button that you can shoot with and shoot Neo Sapiens specifically with. Oh, we lost Shrug. Oh no. Okay, we'll get back to Shrug. Um, you can't and charge your attack, which is sometimes really important. And you can also duck for some, and you can also duck to avoid the missiles, as said before. And you can jump over stuff too. Very awkwardly. So, um, it does have some good points uh, to counter Ramona. Uh, I, I, it, like, the fact that it's not, because I've played so many of these games like this, that it's not super specific, that you just have to have the cursor kind of in the area and it has a little bit of auto lock on, which that's kind of incredible in a 16-bit game. Um, so, so like, it's it's playable. It's It's just like... Technically, everything's done pretty well. It's just like you got to this point of like, why did you make a game? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's technically solid, uh, mechanically sound in some ways. Like, I especially got this sense when watching um, a pretty good long play of this game that there are lots of tools at your disposal due to the kind of complicated controls. There is a certain logic to it, like... Uh, you can hold the right um, directional pad uh, direction and you can like press up to aim up and press down like diagonally to aim while you're still walking forward. So there is like this certain flow to it where if you are aiming well, you could be walking forward the whole time. And it does kind of punish you if you stop. If you let go of holding right, there is like a delay between uh, like stopping and like regaining momentum. So there's a certain flow to the game that I appreciate. It feels a little wonky all the time, feels kind of janky, but there is a charm to it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not terrible, but I mean, it's bad, but relatively speaking it's not super bad it's just that 
and I know this is probably an unfair comparison, but it's just it reminds me of a lot of other 16-bit mech shooters like uh, like Gun Hazard or Assault Suits Falcon or something, which are like really good. And this was not. Yeah, but your sprite is totally big in this. It's big and chunky. I think it's technically made out of multiple sprites. Like it's several independently animating sprites. Yeah, much like other uh, technically advanced Sega Genesis games like Gunstar Heroes and Ernest Evans. <laughs> Ernest Evans. Ernest Evans is a better game than this. I'll just say that. Ernest Evans rules. I was trying to think of what else to... Like, the the, the main problem with it is that there's no invincibility frames and that you can just spawn an enemy on the right side of the screen that's now just going to uh, own your zone and... Uh, well, you figure out, oh, can I crouch? Can I turn blue? Uh, uh, shoot, aim, con- controller? Uh, okay. I killed him, but now I'm like two hits from dead, I guess. My cur- my health is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. A spiraling, counting down cube letting me know that death is approaching and unescapable. A completely normal counter that goes from F to zero. I guess it's just F for full because it's like F and then the first hit you take, it's like nine. I would, you know, I've seen enough of the cartoon to know that this isn't a reference to anything on the cartoon. And I would love to know why they decided to do F instead of 10. Because fuck this game. No, no. Like, it's it's weird because while I find the section, like every part of this game completely unbearable, um, I, I could see... For once that like this game does have vision, it does have uh, wanting to do something, but that's for later. Uh, hey, tell me about this other section. Oh yeah, the third section. Oh, one last thing. When I called that se- the the side scrolling section a rhythm game, it's because I played through like half, the, maybe not half, may- probably three quarters of the side scrolling segments in the game, and I felt like. I was, it was almost less like precision aiming and more when to press each of the buttons. And I felt almost like it was a rhythm game after a certain point with just this icon means I respond this way. This icon means I respond that way. And you just kind of get into a groove after a while with them. But yeah, speaking of, well, not really speaking of, but there's an even more arcane mode than this, and that is the weird fighting game mode that sort of serves as these boss levels. Um, you have one mech and one other mech that you are fighting. Hey, welcome back, Shrug. Tell me about this mech. Okay, so you've got a mech, and you're fighting another mech, one of the mechs piloted by the Neo-Sapiens, and we'll get to who those guys are in the next segment. And uh, you got a one-on-one fight. You can punch in various ways. You can kick in various ways. You can shoot in various ways, and you can even use that cool shield in various ways. And so can your opponent. Your opponent is very, very good at moving, at using the shield. This is a really complicated mode that's supposed to be like some kind of fighting game is the best I can figure out. It doesn't quite work like a traditional fighting game because I don't think there's any quarter circles or whatever, but there's definitely button combinations and you definitely do different moves with different contexts, which is kind of a problem with it. This mode is very ambitious. They're trying to do a lot. Like they're trying to have this like fighting game that's just this one third of the whole game 
that also innovates a new control scheme entirely, like outside of like the Street Fighter orthodoxy. And it's it's not it's not quite getting there. Take these three buttons and a D pad. Nope, not at all. Yeah, three buttons and a D pad and control the whole mech. It seems to be trying to get at a insane granularity with just those three buttons and D pad. Like it's getting sim like. My brain is in here. Yeah, I, I see what you're going on about. Like, each of the different directional buttons in combination with one of the other buttons will do a different move. Not only that, but depending on where your mech is in space in relation to the other mech, that can have an impact on what move you do too. What impact, I could never quite tell, but there was definitely contextual stuff. So at any given point, there's may at least, like, three, four, maybe even half a dozen things you can do or, like, respond to with these mechs. There's cooldowns, there's even some cancels. You know, it's interesting, um, the, like, obvious ambition of this mode kind of uh, dispels one of the usual criticisms of licensed games like this, you know, it's based on the toys and the TV show, which is that they go for these really big sprites and these really like elaborate animations to the detriment of everything else, which can be levied against this game to some extent. But at the same time, like, it's not like it's a completely heartless, um, you know, just cash in because they did take the time to like actually design, you know, questionable quality design, but they clearly were reaching for something here. They took the big sprites and they took the elaborate animations and they went, you have control over all of these elaborate animations. It's just, you won't know what the fuck you're doing because something's trying to murder you and every button does something. Every button combination does something. Uh, you're going to feel like you're a leaf caught in a fucking windstorm. Because you just want to move, but you're fucking move a few inches, but your right thumb slipped. And instead you did a belly flop onto the ground and then shot a rocket. Or you started staging to shoot a rocket and then you stopped, but your fucking arm still stuck out straight, ready to charge. And you don't know how to stop doing that. Good luck. Yeah, I ultimately made it through that segment just by button mashing a whole bunch. And just know that when I saw the tutorial that listed every single move, I felt like Brad Pitt at the end of 7. My favorite part was it has all these moves, and then at the end of it, it says, and more, dot, dot, dot. Have fun exploring this possibility space. Yeah, let me hit up the uh, showryuken.com wiki to find out what the and more moves are. I want to know frame data. I want to know all the cancels. You know what? If if uh, Toei Animation doesn't want, or whoever doesn't want Dragon Ball Z fighters to be played at Evo, let's just replace it with ExoSquad. Fuck it. Did, does that mean you tried the dual mode out? Absolutely not. I just played the one fighting a level, and I was like, this sucks. Uh, but I made it through somehow. But I did. 
You did. Well, could you, you tell us about the the dual mode then, Rudy? Did you play it Absolutely. with the Sega Activator? No, I did not, Trug. And you didn't really play it. I'm sorry. I can only go by my experiences, not the experiences <laughs> I do not hold. Um, yeah, uh, the interesting thing about the dual mode uh, is you do have your your three your three hot pilots and also uh, four uh, I guess new sapiens. I, I I'm I'm the one that didn't uh, the four bad guys we'll say, um, and I I went I went with uh, Rita because what I had played the normal game and then I uh, stopped. So I just was like, okay, well, I'll try this dual mode to fulfill my hour of time. Um, and Rita has a really cool uh, overhead uh, hammer move uh, that causes the enemy pilot to slam to the ground, allowing me to overhead hammer them one more time, which makes a lot of the fights really easy. What I love about that move is that as far as that move sometimes happens when you try to do the shield move and... I have no idea how the game determines whether you'll dual shield or an overhand. Well, I, I apparently did not get far enough into the arcade mode because I did not happen to have one of those one of the fighting game levels in there. So I went in there completely blind and still blind to what even the control possibilities are. The the main thing I did know was from watching the attract mode that uh, if you're on the ground, the the other the enemy can jump on you and you you can. Uh, kick flip them over you and i was like whoa that's cool that's a lot of interesting programming about a uh, sprite position and really complicated again for the for the sega genesis like again that it doesn't come out to maybe being uh great and playable but it does come come from place of let's see what we can do and try to make a cool thing I wonder if this came if the people who worked on this came out of the demo scene. In fact, there there might be a little bit of evidence for that in something. I'll get to that once we enter the labyrinth zone a little later. But yeah, I think there was a real attempt to put this to make a real fighting game out of this. And I'd really like to try this with another person at some point cuz I feel like you could get enough of a feel for each of the moves that it could turn into that fun kind of feeling of rock paper scissors you get in a decent fighting game just a lot slower than you typically play them at well then i'd be remiss to not like uh, connect this to the fact that uh the, the the people that did the fighting game section also did cyborg justice which is admittedly a worse version of this thing uh cyborg justice is much closer to just a standard uh 2d fighter with uh segmented multi-sprite bot characters um so so this being a lot more about physicality in a 2d fighter um and a 16-bit 2d fighter is definitely better than cyborg justice uh if when this podcast gets around to reviewing that game uh you y'all are in for a worse time i think this game uses that engine that's just my guess yeah i was about to bring up uh, cyborg justice but rudy uh, got it out first but yes i uh, i agree it's pretty much just that but the cyborg justice is significantly worse you can almost appreciate what this game is doing in light of Cyborg Justice. Y'all are really wanting me to, making me want to play Cyborg Justice after we get finished recording, just because I gotta know. Do we have any other gaming thoughts now that we've covered the whole gamut? Like, how do these fit together? How does it feel that we've got these three segmented portions of the game kind of jammed together in what it is attempting to convey a narrative with? 
bad. It feels bad. It's, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they said, well, there, here are all these elements of this show, presumably, and the concept of wearing a fucking exoskeletal mech suit and we're not going to choose to focus on anything. We're going to make three fucking experiences. So you get the whole motherfucker. We're going to make a souffle. And I mean, it's nice of them to have a minute of still frame fucking, what do you call them? Cut Cut scenes between every segment so that you can kind of relax and get into the right state of mind to receive the new way of playing. Speaking of cutscenes, I think it's time to explore the fantasy zone if we're all done here. No, 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 I got something. I got something. Okay. Me, me, me. Okay. I'm raising my hand. Ramona, uh, go, go for it, go for it. Uh, no, this game was not cohesive in the slightest. It was three genres that in better hands could probably have fit together. Uh, but in this case did not. It was just, it felt like, uh, Novatrade or whatever, Appaloosa. It's uh, Novatrade. Whatever. Whatever they're going by this week. Uh, they just had, like, they had just this idea, like, hey, we programmed all this shit. Let's just throw it into a video game. We have this license. You know, we'll probably get some money out of it. I don't think they did. This was at the end of the Genesis's lifespan. So, uh, but in any event, it doesn't tie anything together. Even if they were all good, it would still be uh, a game that doesn't really have an identity. It's trying to be other things instead of itself. If that makes any sense. It does. Also, I hadn't even considered that this came out the same year as the PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, I remember playing this when it came out, and this was like, it was going towards the back end of the gaming magazines. Like, oh, hey, there's a couple of games still coming out for this thing, and one of them is ExoSquad. And this was a year after the show got canceled, but I'll talk about the show later. Fuck Crash Bandicoot. Check out this fucking haircut in space. It looks pretty decent, but it plays like a very early Genesis game. Like a very... Because of the segmented three gameplay, like they all feel janky and shoddy. Like, and they're way, way more ambitious than they're capable of pulling off. But it looks okay. Why refine one game when you can sort of staple together three games? And you can say, hey, mom, I made three games. And I sold one game. It's three games in one. What a value. You don't need Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> yeah, it's like Genpei Tomaden, but without the personality. It's like those little uh, game consoles they sold where it was like, who needs expensive game cartridges? This thing's got 200 games, and, 50, and 150 of them are Tetris variants. Oh man, I'm gonna have to show you all the uh, 15 in one Maxi Vision bootleg. It had an infomercial starring Hulk Hogan. Awesome. 
but anyway, we good with games? Good with games? We get our blast? We good with the blast zone? Have we blasted this game enough? I feel very blasted. Take me on a journey. I wish I, I could blast myself with the Exo Squad uh, afterburners. Just stand, uh, just stand behind it and say, "Take me now, JT, and the other one." <laughs> Take me now, Wolf Bronski. God damn it, Takagi. <laughs> well, now that we've been thir- we've thoroughly blasted off our our fleshy coatings and have moved on past reality, we can enter. The Fantasy Zone. So here's where we're going to talk about uh, the game as an aesthetic object. How does it look? How does it sound? What's the story like? What are we doing? Why are we time cops? What's going on in the Fantasy Zone, everyone? Smash Cut, uh, MS Paint, a drawing of a lake and a and a sailboat tells us it's the future. <laughs> it looks and sounds like shit. I kind of find the cutscenes charming, but they do look like shit. Oh, they're 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 nicely drawn for uh for for the for the age. It seems like a very. I mean, you can't say they don't look like the cartoon. It's like they made absolutely they made absolutely no attempt to translate the aesthetic of the cartoon into anything. It's just here is the cartoon. Here is the lowest amount of effort you can put into things that look like the cartoon-ish. Here you go. We have controls to make weird. I have a feeling, and I'm probably right, that the cutscene graphics were just uh, animation cells from the show that were just scanned in. Yeah, it definitely has that look to it. Because um, the show had, a, like, most, the cutscenes are all zoom-ins. Well, not all zoom-ins, but the majority of the cutscenes in the games are zoom-ins to the faces of the people in the exosuits. And that is, like, oh, a good quarter of the shots of the cartoon. Well, the the, uh, the the first stage with uh, our flying stage, it has a very nice Amiga-style gradient skyline. I like that. Um, points for that. Um, and again, the big, chunky, uh, segmented sprites that um, they kind of move okay, I guess. Yeah, you know, it is kind of funny looking at, like, the gameplay versus the cutscenes, because the cutscenes are all very, very flat, but all of the gameplay has all of those nice, good, good, dithered, middle-shaded colors that look, that have all these great little transitions between dark to light and all that. And the cutscenes are just completely flat. It's got this very detailed, uh, the, the Sega logo in this, in this game is very, very detailed and, and original. And then, like, really, really high-quality uh, uh, logos pop and then explosion this giant chunky uh geo city's webpage explosion letting you know it's time for video game and then like you get these three cool robots fly in and you're like this is gonna rock because it's got the logo it's got exo squad and the game tells you 
We are the Exo Squad. In digitized speech, it sounds just we like this. We are the Exo Squad. And it sounds like this in the game. I'm gonna edit that in later. And it's really cool. And I got and whenever I saw that, I was like, ah, this is gonna be so hype. And then we got to the first cutscene, which was an MS Paint mode. I, I thought I liked the music. Okay, I was gonna, I was planning to come on here and say, hey, the music wasn't bad. But the more I played the game, every time the music looped, I liked it less and less and less. I ended up hating it. I can't pronounce the name of the composer. It's uh, Solt Vornik? Dvornik? Solt Dvornik? It's, uh, it's not very good. It's not very good music. It's it was good enough for the TV show Sightings, which used all the music they produced for season three, the of Exo Squad. The oh wait, that's the TV show, not the video game. I guess it might not be good. Their video game music might not be good enough for the TV show Sightings. I I mean, I appreciate that any game that tells you who made the game right up front, but also the the it has the names on on screen for such a brief period of time that you can't read them and i appreciate this game also did have in fact have an executive producer to uh i guess go in and be like uh make this better it has longer credits later once you beat the game you it shows you like the i think what six people who developed this like it was a pretty small dev team and and they get more time in the end credits because this game has end credits not only does it have end credits it has a password that lets you watch the final cutscene, and it is just a password for the cutscene. It calls it a movie, but it's got a password for that. How long is it? it? While watching it, it felt like several millennia were passing by. But I don't know. I think in practical terms, it was probably more like two to three minutes. That's pretty lengthy for a Genesis game. Yeah, in fact, the story cutscenes were really lengthy for a Genesis game. I think there is at minimum 10 minutes of cutscenes in this, which are mostly slow-scrolling text boxes superimposed over people's faces, or my favorite, my very favorite scene in the entire game, which is where Wolf Bronski, again, only person whose name I can remember, sits down and gets the password for an encrypted hard drive wrong three times. I thought you were talking about the time where Wolf Bronski is introduced by uh, being at a bar and clearly having a beer and then they're like, we can't have him hold a beer. Make him hold a cheeseburger. Oh yeah, that, that is a great introduction. I also like that he's apparently 33 even though he looks to me to be drawn to be like somebody in their early 40s. I'm just glad I respected that, you know, ladies don't like no don't like people knowing their age or their weight. You know, it's very inclusive, I guess. Hmm. How did you how did you know that that you don't know her age or her weight? Well, cuz at the beginning of the game it introduces each character by telling us what by telling us uh, their age, weight, uh, and Bronski's Bron- Bronski's weight's actually pretty low uh, at 83 kilos. I like that the hobby of, I think it was JT? Is JT the guy? Whatever. Buzzcut. The main character, yeah. Yeah. 
who you play in all the flying sequences. I like that his hobby was fighting, which is also his job. That's just how it is. I mean, he is a cop after all. They are married to the job. If if all those reruns of Law and Order Special Victims Unit are any indication. In the grim dark future of violating the rights of various space farmers, etc. There's only the job. The space farmers being a genetically engineered species of laborers called Neo-Sapiens, who are genetically modified humans born from birthing chambers, who they used for free labor at one point in history. This is... They had a labor revolt, which was put down by people in robot suits 50 years ago, and now there's a peace talk or something, and this is two years before the uh, TV show where the Neo-Sapiens rebel. Um, But then, like, some of the Neo-Sapiens steal a time machine and get in in the time machine and want to bring weapons back to the past so they can win their initial rebellion or something, and so you have to get in the time machine and go back in time and stop that, and there are no time machines in the cartoon this is based on. Look, you have to stipe, you have to you have to uphold the time laws, which is something they literally say. Um, time laws. And nobody even does the the splits. I, Wolf, I, why doesn't Wolf Bronski do the splits in his underoos over a puddle of water? Oh wow, Bronski and I are the same age. How come he looks so much more haggard than me? Because he's married to the job of oppressing the underprivileged in the space future. You need to get married to a job. Or I could just uh, put on a really bad trench coat and uh, do an even worse Wolverine impression. Space trench coat. I like how Rita has... Time trench coat. Time trench coat. I like how Rita has, like, a nose ring, so you can tell she's, like, cool in 90s. And also fascist. And also fascist. <laughs> because, again, this is a... T- okay, so it's two years before the start of the TV show, which we'll get into a little later. I keep saying that, but there's tons of stuff and t- we'll find discover in the labyrinth. And this is, and this is right before the peace talks that set up the situation at the beginning. I don't know why they're having peace talks now... 48 years after the rebellion i'm not really clear on this um but you've got but yeah this general arc of this game is you find out bad neo sapiens are trying to change history and you stop them and then you blackmail them with the information you have from your time escapades into a into signing the peace treaty they were going to sign or something already did they like Maybe it's maybe it's like the Korean War where we're just technically at a temporary ceasefire. We've never really called a real armistice. Armistice. So uh, you know the Neo Sapiens are running Mars, and Homo Sapiens are running Earth, and they're just at this sort of awkward detent and. Now, uh, today, today, 2019, they're uh, looking to have official ties. 
call an official piece. What are words? So peace talks. This is a very politically complex world. It sort of is, and it also makes absolutely no sense. Okay, good. I was curious about that, comparing it to the TV show. Um, but uh, especially looking over at these screenshots, they all, like, the the cutscene design, both of the two stage designs, they feel like they're made by completely different people who did not talk at all. Like, there there's not a unified aesthetic or and a unified view of this game, like, uh, clearly, the side scrollings are very Amiga. The cutscenes are a uh, uh, well done MS Paint, and then the, the 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 shooting ones are like powerhouse demo reel stuff. But trying to have a a, a set mood to this game is is there is none outside of like, hey kids, you love long cutscenes of people talking before robots. Yeah, there's an entire level which is just Bronski getting lost in a sewer. And that is the whole background. He says, I'm going to go through an underground tunnel. And then he gets lost. And then he's like, oops, I'm not lost anymore. And you go through a sewer, which actually is really cool looking. It is a cool ass looking sewer. Yeah, you know, Rudy, you make fun, but we all know what happened when uh, someone eventually did do another game with long cutscenes and giant robots. That's right. I'm saying Hideo Kojima ripped this game off for Metal Gear Solid and also Zone of the Enders. It's true. The complex politics of this game clearly inspired Kojima. Death Stranding is just going to be a very blatant knockoff of Cyborg Justice. Mark my words. I'm calling it right now. Just red red arrows and circles and your surprised face. Yeah, it's like that uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia screen cap. I heard some reports from people to go a little bit just to the game graphics that some people reported some motion sickness, especially from the first space level. Yeah, that those sequences are pretty rough, and I don't get motion sickness. Because it's just a whole bunch of red things in front of a red background spinning at you constantly with your bright blue thing in the middle. Yeah, and plus, given how, like, you move so quickly, like, you just shift from one end of the screen to the other, it's just a very sudden jump with all these, like, bright colors in your face. It's just, like, it's a nightmare if you have, like, epilepsy or issues with, uh, like you said, with motion sickness. Yeah, like, I would also, yeah, that for those scenes, I was kind of not looking directly at the screen. I was just trusting my instincts of having played Space Harrier for 30 years. And, all, and like, from the opposite side of, like, uh, motion sickness, like, the fact that there's... They, they they do um parallax scrolling, but, like, hey, let's have just a tree cover 30% of the screen. You'll like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes on the side-scrolling level, something will just be in front of you while 50 things fly at you. So you have to judge what's going to hit you while there's a big ass tree in front of you. But let's talk about messaging. I want to talk about messaging with you guys. Um, so when you actually encounter a, a sapien, a neo sapien in the uh, side scoring levels and you shoot him and they die, uh, their body doesn't go away. In fact, it remains a static object that if you're a real big idiot and maybe uh, made a video once that got linked by Kotaku, um, 
you you spend uh, a good two minutes uh, shooting the dead body forward because the body still has weight in the game terms, so you can scoot it forward. And I have to constantly recognize that. And like, you don't just walk o- walk past the body; you have to walk over the body. You have to recognize this the 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 soul that you have crushed because they do mention that all the little robots are droids and not manned. So this the, this the, the, this lost soul is there for you to deal with and recognize. Yeah, I I saw that when I when I played the game and I thought, man, this really uh this really doesn't help the whole uh being extremely racist thing that the cartoon has going on and that you are literally walking on the dead body of a albeit fictional but still marginalized person that you have just murdered with a gun. A yeah. gun that can create bullet holes, which is another nice little uh, detail that they didn't need to do, but it's there. And you're, and I have to I go look. Oh, I appreciate the fact that they made not just a, like a a bullet hole positional effect happen. Yeah, I do, I do think there's something interesting too about the fact that you can, there are humanoid enemies in this game because it talks about oh yeah we're getting attacked by dro like droids. And my first thought was, oh yeah, it's like a kid's game. You can't actually kill anyone in here. No, there are just robot drones that attack you, that you have to blow up, and there are people you just stone-cold kill with a giant missile launcher. So the killing, you it is very clear that there is that you are killing people in this game, because there are things that you aren't killing and things that you are. And if you're the time police, let's talk about this. If you're the time police, what does that mean? that you're now ending lives that would not have been ended by you. Cause yeah, they say some of the Neo sapiens are from what the game calls the present, which is actually like 2100 or something. But I don't think you're just killing those people. I think it ended up like, uh, every time you kill a Neo sapien in the past, it ends up like that, uh, Halloween episode of the Simpsons where Flanders takes over the world. That that was a good episode. Maybe the reason the events of the TV show happen are because of how much you fucked with the timeline as the time cops in this game. That did boggle me. It's like, why is it set up like, well, we have to like fit this in the mythos of the TV show and we can't find a good place. Obviously, it's a a prequel where they time travel. Yeah, and it's also weird because the TV show has like a couple of periods of downtime from what I watched where there's like time skips. That they could have just been like, yeah, so here's some fights they had. Because it's a war show. So it's a show where people and robots blow up other people and other people inside of robots. There's no real need to insert a conflict in there because it's already this massive, year-long, giant, and unthinkably huge, huge orgy of violence in the cartoon. So tell me about this orgy of violence, though. I I don't really know. Uh, like I didn't get to I get didn't get to have fun time watching the show. So, like, what is the the show? The show is is um well have we how do we feel about what we've talked about visually? Have we conveyed the visuals and audio here? How do we feel about that? I'll talk about the show. I think we're gonna put that in the labyrinth, and we'll get right to that. The color palette is not great, but it does have pretty good animations. It's very detailed. 
Sprites are very large. The backgrounds are pretty nice. The color palette kind of bland, uh, except on the uh, the behind the back uh, space shooter levels. Those ones have probably the better color palettes, but it still is should is a little it's a little bit more bland than it should be. Uh, sound effects are horrible. <laughs> the music is very irritating after a while. Um, but yeah, it's it's not great overall, aesthetically. Well, it does have one moment of punctuation is that when you die, like the 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 sudden blood red screen is, well, extremely shocking and upsetting uh, for our our fun video game for children. Yeah, a fun video game for yeah. It's it's it, it freaked me out when that happened. I was like, oh my god, I'm bleeding to death. Yeah, much like uh, the other Nava Trade video game, Echo the Dolphin. Fun video game for children where you play uh, a fascist oppressor slash time cop. Fun video game for children where you play... Well, we won't go into dolphins. <laughs> so yeah, in in short, the graphics of Exo Squad are a land of contrasts. Have... I think we're ready to enter the Labyrinth Zone! Everybody get your ball of thread and tie it to something and spool it out behind you and don't get let it get cut and watch uh, for minotaurs and... Um... So here in the Labyrinth Zone, we uncover what has been hidden throughout history where we find the secrets and things that led up to this game like the animated series who all here watch any of this animated series that it's based on it was me i was there i did too i didn't watch it when i was a kid but i definitely watched it very recently for the show this show i mean i was aware of Exo Squad as a kid, but I don't think like I knew about the commercials and the toys, but I don't remember ever watching any of it on television. I think you might have watched some of it too, Modal, with us when we had our big screening night. Yeah, I uh, I was there for that. <laughs> so, Rudy, you wanted to know more about what was going on in the show, so you can have the context to understand this game's intricate political subterfuge plot. Yes, I'm. I, 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 I want to visit my local labyrinth zone. Yes. So here, the first thing we're going to encounter in this labyrinth is the fact that this show is suppo- is called the American Anime. It was an attempt to do basically Gundam in America. Gundam has a ver- has these this complex set of shades of shade of gray morality. This show. Uh, the bad guys are a genetically engineered underclass who were literally created to be free labor for um, humans. And and they're called Neo-Sapiens, this new genetically engineered class. They had a labor uprising, which thanks to the usage of giant robot suits, was put down. And now it's 50 years later, and a Neo-Sapien has risen to fight back against the humans and liberate neo sapiens and also this guy is apparently some kind of hitler 
I'm on the um, Exo Squad Wikia, and according to it, Phaeton, it starts with history. Like Adolf Hitler of a previous era, Phaeton appeared in obscurity. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bred to work the mines of Mars, Phaeton was created to be nothing but a slave. And my uh, speculation on what the political situation could be following the Neo-Sapien Rebellion was way off because they did put the Neo-Sapien Rebellion down. Phaeton's political power comes from uh, being the governor of the Martian Commonwealth. Uh, however, because he is a Neo-Sapien, he wields very little political power in the real world. What is the real world? But he has a devious and brilliant planner, so um, it could be that the politics of this thing doesn't really hold up to scrutiny, or don't really hold up to scrutiny, because it's a sloppily plotted kids' cartoon. But uh, yeah, so apparently he's the governor of Mars, the Martian Commonwealth, but in the real world. Very little political power. So he built a secret, genetically engineered space Nazi army so he could be a space Nazi, is essentially what he does on, over the course of the show by tricking the Exo fleet, the good guys, to uh, shut down some pirate activity, which it turns out later the pirates were actually the pre Neo sapien human laborers who they sent out to like. Ven but they sent out to like Jupiter to mine the moons and stuff. And then they were just like, Hey, well we just invented a slave species. We don't need you guys anymore. So hopefully you don't starve to death out there. And that's why they became pilots, pirates, not pilots. I guess they're pilots too. And um, yeah, now they, and the first thing that happens is they start attacking ships. And so they have to send the exo fleet, the good guys is out to stop the evil pirates who have to be pirates because they literally have no other way to survive. So does this, does the show at all seem aware of any of this commentary? Like, or does it feel like as Mad Libs as it does in the game that like, let's fit, let's, let's like clearly state like an oppressed underclass trying to uprise. And yet we're playing the ones to stop that uprising kind of also time travel. In the first season, there's not a whole lot. It, uh, I watched the bulk of the first season leading up to this. Is I had a night where we watched the first three episodes. And in the first three episodes, there are fictional racial slurs that are very similar to real racial slurs getting tossed around about the Neo-Sapiens. There are people who... There is literally a racist space cop who won't shake the hand of a Neo-Sapien. There's a line about how Neo-Sapiens can't feel the same things we feel. And it is just this over and over and over again. And there is almost, you know, in the first three episodes, there's not even a glimmer that this is supposed to be bad. It's just all presented as this is normal and our good guy heroes participate in it. And it's fine because they're the good guy heroes. Other than we, you do have one Neo-Sapien member of their crew. Who, who is very who at this point is very opposed to armed uprising and thinks peace is the answer, which is why he joined a military group. 
You might say he's one of the good ones. You might say that indeed, Shrug. Look, I'm just saying I'm not racist, okay? One of my best friends is a Neo-Sapien. So, like, the, I, I hate to, like, have you have you telephone me a, a TV show from 30 years ago, but, like, can, can that can that version of it be read as almost propaganda? It sounds like propaganda, where, like, it, uh, it, it, it is bold-faced in, like, what is wrong about it, which it does seem to be. Yeah, like, the thing about it is, and I have not watched the whole series, is it does try to problematize it a little bit, but there's... Nor should you. What? Watch the second season? (laughs) Exactly, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it it does try to problematize this later, but there's also this kind of feeling that the problematization of it might've been a last minute change. And there's still the thing that I cannot get over, which is the fact that it has this oppressed underclass and a guy rises through the oppressed underclass. He becomes a political leader and he decides, and this repressed underclass, which is very heavily coded as like, segregation or immediately post-segregation like southern racism uh they're like like they're no longer slaves but they still don't have any they're basically living in under jim mars jim crow from what i can read yeah yeah that is dialogue in the show reflects this they can't pilot ships they don't have full political agency they can't use weapons which is apparently a normal thing people can do there's a lot of discussion about that that happens in one scene um and yeah so and the good guys are still keeping that going it seems like Notable examples of free Neosapiens were Marsala, the only Neosapien member of Able Squad, and Phaeton, the governor of Mars, as well as Phaeton's generals, Typhonus, Shiva, and Draconis. It was not until that... So basically, we just need a few Neosapiens to have rights and be in powerful positions in order to move the plot forward. So there's a few exceptions. It doesn't make any sense in the world, but here they are. Otherwise, uh... They're an oppressed underclass. Uh, by the way, they're the bad guys. Yeah, and uh, and even though the show later tries to make it seem like, oh yeah, Phaeton tricked everybody, there's very clearly a whole bunch of Neo-Sapiens who are just like, yeah, I'm really in on this uh, killing all the humans train, including literally a scene where one of them says they have a, quote, final solution for the human problem. Following the end of the war, it was decided that the best way to deal with the Neosapiens was to give them continuity and freedom so that they would no longer be oppressed and thus would be able to live in peace with humans. Oh, that's a good idea. Why didn't they think of that earlier? That also literally goes... Oh, wait, is that after the war in the series? Uh, I think that's after, yeah, it's after the war in the series. Uh, to yeah. this end, a final extra-large brood of Neosapiens was created, with the sterilization treatments removed. Go forth and multiply, my blue children. Yeah, they're all blue, by the way. They're all blue and purple. And they have these tattoos on their foreheads that, that mean what batch they came out of, I think, is the implication from the show I was watching. So we're already talking about the generative properties on the Mega Drive podcasts as well. 
problem, I mean, the big problem, I mean, slavery is bad. We can all agree that slavery is very bad. Don't like it. Get rid of it. If you see it, uh, one might say it should be abolished, um, especially in space. But worse even than slavery is getting rid of the generative properties of an entire sapien species. Yeah, because they're basically... So I didn't even know that. I did not know that the Neo-Sapiens literally could only even reproduce with the approval of the space government. And this is one of those things that's like, I guess over the course of the series, the good guys realize, hey, maybe we were bad, but it is astonishing the depths of evil the supposed good guy side does. Like, just startling. Look, I'm just, like, trying to hold up a mirror to, like, the society I live in, okay? In the cartoon, they also, uh, they also, uh, they they talk shit about the media. The media, like, tries to report on what the Exo Squad is doing. And, like, they, uh, like, oh, the, the media. The blind fake news media. Yeah, like they're they're very clear that it's good the Exo Squad doesn't want to talk to the media, and it's bad that the media is talking to the Exo Squad, and that they never go back on that as far as I can tell. That's totally fine, and it's it also leads into a lot of America stuff, like a lot of sort of the stereotype of post Vietnam. Oh, nobody cares about the people who are really out there, and nobody and you know nobody appreciates what the soldiers are doing and there's no closer bond you can get in the world than between soldiers and a unit. And it leans into all of that, which I mean, and it never backs down from that. So that whole military worship thing just sticks throughout the series. That seems like a, a, a a dark road to go down. Um, So where does time police fit into all this? Oh, easy. If uh, in one of the last cutscenes of the game, it says all time machines were destroyed and all ev- and all information on building time machines was destroyed, so no one could ever use a time machine again, which is why time machines never come up in the animated show. They do like at one point, Rita and Bear McCusky or whatever his name are told to guard a time machine, and they're just told, and they they're just kind of hanging out, and then they like, hey, I got a new gun. Want to see my new fucking gun? And then they just blow it up, like, for fun. Because it was the evil Neo-Sapien time machine, which looks exactly like their time machine, and has field exactly like their time machine. Time cops. Time cops. We are the exo-cops. Can anyone do... What the fuck's that dude's name? Can anyone do a Ron Silver impression? I can't. Wolf Bronski, or...? No, Ron Silver, you know, the bad guy in Time Cop? No? Uh, I forgot what he sounded like, but uh, we'll just insert a joke here where, uh, hey, (laughs) when I played this game, my face looked a lot like his at the end of Time Cop. Am I right, gamers? Ha ha, ha ha, I know (laughs) the feel. Uh, That feel when? Being a Time Cop. That feel when you see yourself perfectly reflected in a game like ExoSquad. I have gone into my own labyrinth finding uh, a, a daily motion video of the game Exo Squad, where a man uh, pushes his cat away, showing off the showing off the case and manual, and then proceeds to uh, ponytail 
a gray ponytail shirtless stream him playing the game. That's incredible. So does this game, the show very much has a cult fandom that really, really loves it and talks it up. It's very much like the Babylon five fandom in that way that almost nobody even knows about this thing anymore. And there are these people on the internet who really liked it back on Usenet and still talk about it a lot. Do you, is there any sign anybody found that the game is held in a similar regard to anybody? Nope. Not really. I mean, this, this, this Frenchman, this shirtless, this shirtless Frenchman certainly likes it. Well, the French love imperialism, especially what's in its eh, sentences, especially when imperialism is in French. I didn't know it was French. French. I'm going to make a bad French accent joke. I'm not going to do it. Let's see, I'm um, trying to think anything about this. I did find out that the show itself was the initial idea for it came from a bunch of people who worked on GoBots. So this is kind of the follow up to GoBots in a lot of ways. I've never seen GoBots, so I don't know what themes GoBots carries over. Perhaps the themes of racism. Uh, but on that, uh, was it since it's like the American anime or American Gundam, uh, was it animated by American studios? Was it animated by good, hardworking white Americans? Uh, doubtful. It looked similar to the uh, X-Men cartoon in terms of like the art style, which I believe was also outsourced overseas. Honestly, the animation looks real good Like for this kind of show. A lot of complicated battle sequences happen with a lot better animation than I typically see in American shows of this vintage and style. I guess I can see how somebody, I don't know, I guess like I can kind of see how you might be going for a sort of space real politic thing where there's not really any good guys and blah, 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 but do you really want to do that in a fucking Saturday morning cartoon? Especially, really? yeah, especially because it doesn't problem problematize it immediately. Like there are three episodes where it just looks like, yeah, racism's great, space fascism's great, all that is great, and it takes multiple episodes and most of the first season to even hint that there's a deeper thing going on there i just thought i'd make this kids cartoon that's told very strongly from the point of view of a incredibly racist society why not they gotta one learn the somehow They're, one of the main characters is literally a racist cop hey wait to be redundant there auto tiger ho 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 that is redundant but he's tv racist too like so you really know he is I was just doing my job. It didn't have anything to do with you. I'm not going to shake your hand, Bluey. I think we've found what we're going to find in the labyrinth. Any last labyrinth things you found? Any cool dusty corners you uncovered? Well, I found a sad video of uh, a 30-year-old cell phone taken last year of someone showing off their Exo Squad toy collection, but we don't need that sadness in the world. 
there was an actual official trailer that's that seems to be mostly identical to the attract mode. I will say I I had a toy of the cop from this show. Your very own plastic racist. Yeah, it was real depressing finding out. Like, I had two. I had the communications guy and I had the cop, and uh, I lost the communications guy. But I think I've got, like, almost everything for the cop. I'm probably going to find it and feel very uncomfortable about this toy for the rest of my life. They were going to make a spinoff series codenamed Exopirates. About the much better pirates? Yeah. 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 So, anyway... I think we found the treasures that lie in the labyrinth. So now let's 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 wrap it up a little bit with the death egg zone. Welcome to the death egg zone where we reveal what we really thought altogether about the game. So I'm going to ask each of my compadres today what they thought about the game, giving some specific thoughts, and rating it by a very, very objective rating system of how many Neo-Sapien birthing chambers out of seven do they think this game is worth? This game was a lovingly detailed trash fire. I'm very tired. I'm very blasted. I've been thoroughly reamed out in space by all this racism and I'm going to say I would give it about the foot space, just the space it takes to birth the feet in a Neo-Sapien birthing chamber because I would only give it a single future space military high top fade uh, and I think that's how much space you would need for that in a Neo-Sapien birthing chamber why don't any of the Neo-Sapiens have high top fades because they have high top fades so they can plug their brains into a computer and if you don't have hair you don't need to shave it and that's the actual reason oh okay cool by the way, later in the show, the robot suits gain sentience and also copy the the consciousness of of the people in them, and then they restore dude to life by back by taking his consciousness back up from his mech. Tachikoma, tachikoma days. But anyway, I'm gonna rate this game. You know what? I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give it four out of seven Neo-Sapien birthing chambers. You can get four Neo-Sapiens out of this thing. And the reason I'm going to give it four is because I like ambition. I like the ambition this game has. I like its big, chunky sprites. I like its demo scene scrolling. I like that it tries to do something fresh and different with every single game mode. And it loses the last three points because it never quite comes together. I feel like both the fighting game segment and the side-scrolling segment are absolutely fantastic prototypes for games that could have been made but weren't made, and instead we got ExoSquad. And I kind of think, hey, maybe someday somebody will play the dual-mode ExoSquad. They'll come back, they'll say, hey, yeah, that was great. We should make a good version of this, and we'll get that. And so that's what I'm giving it for. I feel this game still has potential. And hopefully whatever game copies it 
won't be about defending space racism with time cops. Uh, I'm going to give it two uh, Neo Sapien birthing chambers out of seven because it is like it says none of the elements, none of the actual uh, modes are fun (laughs) in any way. They're interesting sometimes, but they are never fun. So it's not good. Uh, But it's kind of, uh, it's worth looking at, I guess, because it's, uh, you know, it doesn't look half bad. They wanted you to see all these funky animations and you want to kind of experience the, the controls. I recommend uh, searching for, there's a two hour long play on YouTube. If you skim through that a little bit, that's probably more than enough to see what's possible with the game. It has a few neat gimmicks, but at the end of the day, I can't, I can't in good conscience give it more than two Neo Sapien birthing chambers out of seven. Shit. Garbage. It sucks. I give it one Neosapia birth chamber and also one middle finger. There, there you go. There's my 90s attitude. Uh, it's a game that it's bad, but it's the bad kind of bad because it's thoroughly mediocre. There are bad games on the Mega Drive or Genesis, whichever you prefer, that are at least entertaining in how bad they are. This is not a game that does it. It's It commits the worst sin you could do if you're going to make a bad video game and that it is boring. It's boring. It is so... It, it has nothing to make it stand out because at least, you know, Kusoge, as our friends overseas have called it, at least there's something to it. This doesn't have that. It's just a bad video game based on a bad cartoon aimed at racist children. And really, that's all you can really say about that. Don't play it. Don't load up the ROM. There's so many other games worth your time, both good and bad. And you should check those out. I actually do want to ask before I get to my to my uh, my, my death egg. Um, Ramona, so you had this game for 20... You've had this game since it was released. Like, what was your relationship with it back then? Well, I had... See, I was one of those kids that had the Sega channel growing up, so I played it on there. Whoa! And I played, like, the first couple levels, and I was like, this game sucks. I'm going to go play, like, I don't know, like, Shinobi or something. And I did that instead, and I was like, oh, Shinobi's cool. That was my relationship with it. Much like I did uh, in playing the game for the show, I played it. I was like, this sucks. I'm going to go play Revenge of Shinobi instead. Boy, I hope we talk more about Sega Channel someday on here. That'd be real cool. Yep, I I told you, I am the Sega expert. I know my 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 Genesis facts. That's why I'm glad to have you. Reading about, the scriptures every day. What about the Activator? Uh, the Activator is a shitty hula hoop that doesn't work. How dare you! I know what I said. Fight me, Activator fans. If you could get out from your weird uh, cattle enclosure that you call a video game peripheral. So I will give the... Uh, I'm going to give the game... I actually agree with Ramona. I give it one 
birthing chamber, despite my positivity. Uh, it is a bad game. I do not want to return to it. I, uh, I appreciate that I had this chance to play it, but no, I, I will never return to this game and I have, and I would not recommend to anyone, but I also give it six Neo Sapien birthing chambers for the attract mode, which if you had on a shelf of a CRT or in the background of a sci-fi movie, you would think that looks incredible. And so, uh, if you can set up a TV and just have the attract mode play, uh, forever, that that is a six uh, Neo Sapien birthday chamber experience. Okay, well that just about does it. Um, before we close the book of Mega Drive this week, I'd like I'd like to hear more about you. Where can we find you? Where can we hear about you? What's your cool social media handle? Uh, I'm unavoidably uh, inexorably shrug. I'm shrug on the forums. I'm at Shrugopolis on Twitter. I'm sometimes on Snexploration. I'm a fucking obnoxious dwarf on fucking that D&D thing that, what's the name of it? No Rangers Allowed. The very excellent, the very excellent Dungeons and Dragons podcast, No Rangers Allowed. Yes, where I am carried by all the other lovely people. Thanks, y'all. I am Modal, and that's spelled M-E-A-U-X-D-A-L. And that's my username everywhere on select button, on Twitch, on Twitter. That's where you'll find me. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ramona the Hedgehog, the hip. 90s mascot with attitude uh you can find me on the selectbutton.net forum at lonely frontier you can find me on twitter at lonely frontier you can find my personal website slash art portfolio at lonely frontier dot uh dot net did i forget my own website address yes i did but you gotta keep it on brand but that's where you can find me. Also, uh you can find me on the other podcast, SNA Exploration, uh sometimes. Because Modal isn't good enough to uh, advertise themselves. They, listen to their excellent uh, SoundCloud with real cool music on it. Uh, I'm Rudy. I host a podcast called Hinge Problems, where if you need more talking about video games, you can listen to that. Uh, the other podcasts mentioned on this podcast are also excellent. Uh, you can find me on the selectbutton.net forums as Rudy. And then you can also... Uh, just have a good time sometimes, somewhere. And I'm Automatic Tiger. You can find me on Twitter at Automatic Tiger and on the select button forums as Automatic Tiger. You can find the Book of Mega Drive on Twitter at Book of Mega Drive. Check us out for all the coolest Sega memes, Sega updates, and updates about the podcast and friends of the podcast. The Book of Mega Drive is a Snexploration Squad Gaiden podcast. Check out the Snexploration Squad podcast by listening to this podcast feed and checking out their website at snes.zone, where you'll be able to find every episode of the Book of Mega Drive for the foreseeable future. 
both podcasts are selectbutton.net guide in podcasts. Check out the forums, hang out, have a good time. I got the next three games we're voting on right here. The three games are Radical Rex, Langrisser 2, and Undead Line. Yeah, none of those is Sonic. I got some thoughts on those games, so vote as you will, audience. Uh, yeah, that's election rules. Yeah, I'm I'm real hype about that. I don't even know what Undead Line is. I like all three, but it sounds radical, and I like the other two for sure. Uh, I I have played a lot of Undead Line, uh, both that and the uh, computer version, which if you vote on it, I will tell you about. Uh, otherwise, you know, you <laughs> go fuck yourself. But yeah, this looks like a real exciting one. I mean, boy, I kind of wish this was the first three we got. But here we are at the end of Exit Squad. What a long, strange journey it's been. Tachikoma. Tachikoma days. I'm going to be pressing left to crouch and everything now. It's going to work. Word on the street is that um, uh, pressing left to crouch is going to be the newest dance in Fortnite now that uh, you can't do the Carlton anymore. Yeah, but they're going to rename it something to throw people off their trail. Press left to dip. Just doing those 16-bit blast processing dances. That's what Battle Royale needs, blast processing. That's what it needs. 